author, entrepreneur, philanthropist, media personality. I mean, I literally could keep going on, but I'm excited clearly to welcome my brother, Karan Butler, to Remotely Renee. Karan, thank you for coming on the pod. Hey, appreciate you for having me on, Queen. I'm proud of you too. All your activism work, everything that you've been doing, I've been watching. Uh, it's just amazing what you've been able to accomplish. Thank you. And so I should say the same to you. I'm coming back at you on congratulations on your new role, the assistant coach of the Miami Heat. And what do you think? I mean, a lot of people, this is a big deal. So I want to make sure people understand this is a big deal. What do you think that transition is going to look like from NBA TV host to NBA coach? Well, I, you know, one thing, you know, obviously you're not going to be in front of the camera no more. Uh, you know, I'm pretty much the wallpaper, the backdrop, and I'm totally fine with that. Uh, something that I've been doing for years, my entire life, you know, uh, mentoring people, uh, ushering them down the pathway to be a better version of themselves. And I find great joy in that, you know, uh, removing myself out of the equation as much as possible and highlighting their strengths and polishing their weaknesses. And uh, that's something that I've just always been, you know, uh, willing to do, wanting to do. And the opportunity finally presented itself. And I mean, what, it was only two organizations that I would possibly do this job with. And the one, Miami Heat, they reached out and it just made perfect sense, uh, perfect time. What was the second one? I'm just curious. I mean, when you look at the coaching trees uh, in the association, the San Antonio Spurs, they usually get it right. When you talk about this, the Spurs disciples and those who come from the pop tree, they, they, they live in that space. They're not just rental situations. They're not just going to be there for a year or two. You know, they have long, long careers and huge impacts. Right. Okay. So I love that. Um, you know, I don't know. It's not a coincidence. You said you enjoy it, but Miami Heat is known for their grit, their toughness, and your nickname just so happens to be Tough Juice. So what are you, like, most excited about as far as just getting there with guys that already – are known to have that type of dog in them? Well, you know, when people always talk about the culture, I'm a fabric of the culture. Uh, they drafted me back in 2002. Uh, Pat Riley, the godfather of the game, uh, Eric Spostra, he was like my, my trainer and video guy and just, you know, someone that was just trying to just pour into me and teach me the fundamentals of the game, teach me how to play in the system. Uh, and I'm able to do those things now. Uh, I'm excited about all those things. Uh, when you talk about, you know, people that you don't have to like force the culture on them because they're already a part of it. They already come off a tremendous success of making it to the finals, even though, you know, some people like it's favorable because it was in the bubble and all these different things or whatever. But I know one thing, we're always going to be in position to compete. Uh, I know that guys are going to leave it all out on the floor night in and night out. And I love uh, just the personnel that we have on this team already. You know, some with tremendous bright spots and the only thing, the only weaknesses is their youth. So I'm, I'm inspired and really excited to be working with some of these young guys. So, you know, you working with these young guys, they should gobble up every single thing you have to say because you had a 14 year pro career, but before that, you were arrested 15 times before the age of 15. So can you just talk about, I mean, you're a walking testimony. Is what we call, I'm from the church. So you are a walking testimony. 
can you just talk about how you come from a one year juvenile detention sentence to where you are today? Like, how does that happen? I think it's, I'm glad you brought up, you know, the gospel. Uh, that's really what it is, is generations of prayer. Uh, my, my grandparents was, you know, strong, strong, uh, faith, faith driven people, my mom, my, uh, my aunts, my uncles, uh, and to be in this position now, it's just, it, it seems surreal sometimes when you reflect and think about it, but that's what it is. You know, I was covered by prayer. Um, uh, I assisted that prayer with hard work and, um, you know, it, that's what it's all about. I think that people sometimes get distorted or the information get distorted when you think that you don't have to work hard uh, along with the prayer. You know, like, like, I'm going to leave it in God's hands. Like, that isn't enough. You have to. <laughs> yeah, you got you to gotta, you gotta meet God halfway, you know, in order for those blessings to come real. And, you know, I try to do that. I love that. So since the pandemic started, I feel like we talk almost every other week, whether it's on a panel, an interview, we talk to the student athletes at UConn. So that kind of brings me to UConn. What was it like going from your background to a school like UConn? You know what? I was, it, it was, it was dope. First of all, the University of UConn just accepted me with open arms, right? Uh, Calhoun sold me on the family aspect. You know, once you become part of this family, you, you're Husky for life, Husky Nation, bleed blue, the whole line. And we know that to be true. You know, that's why you're my sister. But at the same time, uh, I was always just trying to figure out, like, what my acceptance really would be because I came from a troubled background. I had some, some flaws, some chinks to the armor. And, you know, initially, I just I felt like that community – just accepted me for exactly who I was. You know, it wasn't judgmental or anything. That was the first time that I went to an environment, even in prep school, it was just like, all right, we got to watch him because this or that or whatever happened in the past. But UConn just accepted me for exactly who I was. And they just knew that I was just trying to be better. And they provided me all the resources that I needed uh, to be better. And, you know, once again, to Coach Calhoun's credit, Everyone that came through that front door was, you know, trying to buy you or sell you on something. Calhoun was not trying to buy or sell me. He just told me that I would join a family. It would be for life. And that was the, the greatest sales pitch ever. Because if you can be bought, you can be sold. Calhoun left our living room. My grandmother looked at me, looked at my mom and said, he's going to Connecticut. And that was <laughs> Grandma said it. Yeah, big mama said it. She was like, boy, you I would tell you exactly what she said. She said, your ass going to Connecticut. And that's what it was. And that was it. Exactly where you went. Yes, that simple as that. Your ass going to Connecticut. And that was it. I love it. So while at Connecticut, you got the honors of being Big East Player of the Year. Just, this is off topic, but I lived in stores for four years. As you know, what did you guys do in stores for fun? Like, what was the fun aspect in stores for you guys? You know what? Honestly, I tell people this all the time. It was a business trip for me. Uh, it really was. Uh, fun was really knocked out the equation. You know, I didn't do the whole, you know, going out thing. That wasn't ever my thing. Weekend. Yeah, I mean, we we had uh, we had this we had the little uh, fest where like you know uh, uh, 
entertainer to come down or we had Husky Blues or, you know, things like that. But I just, I was just dialed in on, you know, trying to make my visit there as short as possible because I knew I wanted to go to the NBA. And I was like, the time that I, I'm taking to like really enjoy, have fun, that could be time that I could be like storing and putting it to the bank, you know, so I can withdraw a little bit more when it's time to, you know, withdraw those deposits on the basketball court. And that's how I looked at it. Uh, I did have fun though, just like with the camaraderie of building uh, relationships with my teammates, uh, Talib Brown, who's assistant coach now, Kevin Freeman, assistant coach now, uh, you know, so many other that got alumni, you know, uh, Khalid and Rip and Ray and, uh, you know, the list goes on. Hey. We just had a lot of guys that we built. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was the relationships, you know. And, 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 you know, like I said, our huge fraternity is not just men, it's women as well. Obviously, y'all, shit, what y'all have done there, uh, man, you can't tell the history of UConn basketball without talking about what deposits that y'all put in. You know, so the relationships that, you know, I have on the women's side as well, uh, my sisters and brothers forever, man, it's just amazing. I love that. And so, okay, so just moving on from you get drafted. So you, you were focused, locked in the whole time at UConn. You get drafted. I always like to ask, what was that period actually between school ends and then when you get drafted? Because people don't know, that's not just like a, for, for on the men's side. On the women's side, that's a one-day difference um, for me. But on the men's side, what is that like? Because you were a top pick. You know, you were a first-rounder, the 10th pick overall. So you were highly sought after. What is that period like? No, it was a whirlwind because I think sometime in May, I think the first week of May or something like that, or the end of April, I decided that I was going to declare for the draft. And um, I do the press conference at stores. Uh, I cry like a baby because, you know, it was, I, I just didn't want to leave. I, I love Connecticut. I really did. Uh, and then all of a sudden, it was just like a whirlwind. I'm in Los Angeles, and I'm training every day, two times a day. Uh, I'm, I'm going to Chicago for workouts. You know, all the teams that had the top 12, 13 picks, I eventually worked out for. Um, and so how did that work? I'm curious, because as we know, the draft is coming up. Well, the draft will have happened by the time you guys see this. But I'm just curious. Like, what is that like? You don't have any money. The teams are flying you out. Is it first class? Are you now, like, you know, getting, like, wined and dined, as they call it? But, I mean, you've already declared, so there's nothing illegal about that. So, people, I'm just saying that so people can understand. But what is that like all of a sudden going from being a college student to you're on flights, you're in L.A., you're <laughs> all over the place? Like, I'll, what is that like? I'm going to tell you, because when you go to UConn, everything <laughs> is first class. So I was already used and accustomed to fly first class or sometimes on our private charter. You guys flew private or no? Fly, yeah, we flew private. So <laughs> we had our own charter. But when I went to Los Angeles, uh, and that was just the home base for me as a rookie to just train and have a trainer, what I, what I did love about the process is that, um, you know, everything was first class. I'm talking about first class trips to Chicago or whoever had the top 12 picks in Memphis, Cleveland, a couple other Washington, a couple other teams out there. Uh, I was flying in, staying at the hotels. It was it was a lot of thinking because, you know, you're getting interviewed and, and, and people are questioning your past. People are seeing how you think as a human being. 
were you by yourself during yeah the whole time you i mean you you solo like now i think it's because of covid and social distancing like i want people to truly understand this it's different because everything is on zoom uh you know, I, I just watched a, a a whole workout of of a kid, uh, and it was it was crazy. I don't want to give his name out, but it was it was crazy because it I'm watching them and I'm just like, yo, I'm just on a Zoom. They set a phone up and you're watching the workout. Like you're there at that point. Yeah, and you know, either top you know 15, 20 pick, and you know we got the 20th pick in this year's draft, so it should be interesting. But uh, just watching that whole process to where we was at, it was. Like in the middle of our workout at any given time, somebody would jump out there and just play one-on-one with us while we're dead tired after we done. See what, you know, you See what kind of tough juice you got in the tank yeah. that they were testing. Yeah. I'm telling you, like, well, let's see what this is really about. I'll never forget. I went to uh, Houston and Patino Mobley and uh, Steve Francis was there. Uh-huh. And Steve was like, yo, like telling uh, Coach Lucas, like, yo, this this our guy right here. This the one, like this the – it's the one that we got the working out and I think I was doing like Jared Jeffrey, some other guys. And I just, man, I had a, I had a damn good workout okay. for the life of me. I, I thought I was going number one. I was like, I think I'm going number one because it was the best workout I had. I was just like, <laughs> I'm out here. They had the number one pick. They ended up taking Yao Ming. I mean, duh, okay. no brainer. <laughs> uh, can't teach that. But I was like, the workout I just had here, I'll be shocked if I'm not taking number one. And that was my best workout of the whole circuit. Like all my other workouts was like, you know, I was you know what? super That's athletic. Too. I mean, I'm an athlete. So if your best workout was for the number one pick, like, okay, I see you. <laughs> I see you. No, you know, hey, sis, sometimes your jumper not falling or, you know, uh, for some reason, everything was clicking that day. Jump shot, handles tight, defense was on point. I mean, I was splitting the double. T- I mean, you, everything I could do right. I was. And I told my agent after the workout. I said, "Man, I don't want to work out for nobody else. I think they're gonna pick me." He was like, <laughs> "He was like, no, we still gotta work out." <laughs> I'm dead. I feel you though. It's just like, all right, my job here is done. Just wait till that number one pick. I love that. So speaking of, since we're on this tip, because I always like to just, I'm trying to get behind the, the scene. So what was your, what was your most expensive first purchase? Like what's the first thing you bought that was like really expensive because you actually had money now and not saying you did before, but I'm just saying you got it like that now. Yo, I would tell you, it was two things. You go, you know, you go just die screaming. So on draft day, mm-hmm. we're, we're in New York. I woke up and um, I'm watching uh, v, uh, not V100, BT. You know, BT had all the shows back there, Big Ticker, yeah. The Basement, everything. Oh, yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm the part. Come on now. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at BT and everybody got a Jacob Watcho. So I'm literally, I'm literally like a couple blocks away from where we're staying from Jacobs. We're in New York. So I'm like, I can't get drafted without, I can't walk across no stage without no Jacob on. So I, I told my I told my lawyer I was like look can't do it it's just you just can't do it I said I can't like I can't walk across state that that's crazy if I don't have a, a, a diamond watch on that's just I I can't see myself doing it and <laughs> so he took me over there uh, we purchased the watch I think I spent you know 
30 grand or something like that oh, for it. And that was that was my first like large purse purchase that that uh that I did. And then immediately like 48 hours later after I got slotted in 10th pick, I knew that I was, you know, first generation of riches. Hair up and grab my mom a house after that. And okay. Then, yeah, immediately. Like immediately. That's I was like, all right. Flex right there. And look, I love it. You love to see it. Like I love it. Oh yeah, it. I, that was done, done deal. Done deal. I was like, I gotta get my mom a house and I'll figure out the rest later. I love it. So you got a Jacob's watch, 30 <laughs> and dropped a house. Like, okay. Karan, Karan, Karan. Thank you so much for joining me here on Remotely Renee. Killing it, sis. Keep going. This is Dr. Joy. In a world that sometimes feels uncertain, where communities can be disconnected, there are beacons of hope in your neighborhood. Introducing Neighbor to Neighbor, a California volunteers network. They believe that the people living all around you are your best bet at creating meaningful social bonds and preparing you for the next big weather event. Whether it's lending a helping hand to a neighbor in need or standing together in times of natural disaster, Neighbor to Neighbor empowers you to grow your community. Visit caneighbors.com to learn how you can help build a more connected community, neighbor to neighbor. It takes a neighborhood.